let, let's go ahead and get started. Um, I've been thinking a lot about Carthage and the, and the death of a prophet. Uh, and, and how to approach that. And I've certainly taught it before and done, pulled in as many historical details as I could to try and provide all the stuff around that. Um, and we're going to provide some, but I want to make this a little bit more personal today uh, through the eyes of those that were kind of there and part of it and, and start to see it through them. I think uh, part of what they understood with uh, when they were writing the book Saints is that if they had written, if they were going to have the book Saints and it was going to be written by historians, they didn't think anybody would read it. <laughs> it would be pretty dry and pretty technical and pretty history book-ish. So what they actually did is went out and hired novelists and screenwriters and English majors to write the book Saints. So it would have, uh, it would be accurate, it would be true, but it would have a narrative flow in it that would be, uh, that people would pick up and read. And I think what we found when you start reading the book Saints, it just flows. It's reading like a story. Uh, it's, it's like the work and the glory for real. <laughs> uh, th there weren't any steeds, by the way, in, in Nauvoo. Yeah. <laughs> I, having read some of that uh -huh. book, I find it a lot easier to read than the book. Well, he said it's a lot easier to read than, than Rough Stone Rolling. Uh, Bushman, yes, because it's not, that's, that's if, if uh, the church had allowed historians to write saints, it would have been Rough Stone Rolling. And, and so it would have been hard slogging in certain places, and they weren't sure that teenagers would read it, for instance. And they want teenagers to read it. They want teenagers to read saints. And they're doing it. And it's happening because it, it reads well. So they had to pull the historians out of it uh, in order to do that. They provide the context and then let these guys write a great story. That's true. So, all right. So, but part of what makes these things powerful is that rather than just looking at events, is when we actually pull back now and go, let's look at. Let's look at it through the eyes of people that actually were there and their response to these events. Now, before we get started on that, though, I, I, this is, well, in fact, let's do it this way. I want to start with a quote. There it is. From Elder B.H. Roberts. Joseph Smith lived his life, as I've said elsewhere, in crescendo. It grew in intensity and volume as he approached its close. Higher and still higher, the inspiration of God directed his thoughts, bolder were his conceptions, and clearer his expositions of them. He grew stronger with each passing day, more impressive in weight of personal character and charm of manner. Now, one of the things that I think we have found, a year ago, last January, we started church history. And we dove in, and what we found is we're digging through the Joseph Smith papers, uh, and I told Brother McBride this when he was here. Uh, I said, it's, it's fascinating to me that how, how layered Joseph Smith's understanding was. And as a class, we kind of went, wow, this just kind of unfolded step by step by step by step and oftentimes Joseph was surprised by the next step 
He just had not imagined. He hadn't considered. Um, it's actually not too far away from, uh, I was just reading this, la- this last week, some, some biblical scholars, and they're talking about the fact that th- when the Savior on the cross cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, Father, where did you go? That the Greek phrases and, uh, that he's saying registers in surprise and shock. That, that you get a sense, at least in the idea of those that understand Greek, saying Jesus is honestly surprised that the Father left him at that moment. Well, did not expect that, is what the Greek seems to imply. Is that true? Don't know. But it, it, it provides an idea of, say, there's a possibility that even the Savior in his humanness was surprised by things as they rolled out. That he might not at age 12 have had the entire package uh, and was ready to go. That he learned in... But certainly as we watch Joseph Smith, we see that. We see somebody that every time he thought he was done, there was another layer. And then there was another layer. And there was another layer. Now, when we get to this stage in January of 1844 and the clock is ticking, he has six months, you watch Joseph struggle trying to figure out how to handle the premonition that he has that it's over and doing everything possible to make sure that it's not. And he knows it's done, but he's going to try and still figure out a way. And I think, again, it it has echoes of the Savior going, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, can we do that? Now, your will be done, but man, if there's a way this cup can pass, because this hurts. This is this pain. I'm starting to think thoughts I've never thought before. I'm having ideas that I have never thought before. If we can get this cup to pass, I would like that to happen. And I think Joseph is saying, I know what's going to happen. Man, if there's a way to get past this, it, that would be great. Um, so, so as we do that, let me ask you, though, before we get started. What has it meant to you as a class, an individual, as you watch the prophet and that early church have the church rolled out a step at a time, a revelation at a time, pushing back the envelope just a little bit more. What does that do for your your testimony and your view of Joseph Smith and the early church? Yeah. Well, I think that that, uh, we all think that it was done overnight, when it wasn't. It was a step by step by step. He was a learning. He was only a young boy, a teenager. Yeah. And he was having to learn all this. <coughs> yeah. To organize this church and get it rolling. Right. And sometimes we forget that he was just a young boy. Yeah, with, a, with an impossible task in front of him and not a great knowledge. What do we do next? How do we handle this next thing? Okay. Well, yeah. I think it helps us to understand the pattern filling this. Yeah. We're following the same layer by layer. 
See, I agree with that. He says it gives you an idea of the pattern. If we're watching a prophet not know everything, have to ask a question, get inspiration, implement it the best he can, go forward, see where it works, see where it doesn't work, ask another question, get another revelation, respond to that, apply it awkwardly, think the law of consecration, <laughs> and then when it doesn't work, tweak it another again, ask the Lord again, here comes some more inspiration. So we're just watching kind of this growing as we move forward. Yeah, Tim? What makes me think doesn't do anything to change my testimony of Joseph's um, But I do think, you know, it's like the phrase that is by the Savior grew in stature and wisdom. You know, he did. He, he, he grew. There was a growing experience when people are growing. Things are changing. Things yeah. are dynamic. Right. The church is dynamic. Yeah, that's why I think we, uh, I like the phrase that's been used. Uh, I do think we need to have a, we need to kind of update our paradigm of prophets. How we picture prophets. We want everything carved in stone from the beginning as opposed to saying our paradigm that says that prophets grow, you know. In, in, in this church, President Hinckley looked at the, the thing in front of him and saying, we're going to uh, we're going to brand Mormon. So I'm a Mormon. Here's the Mormon. You know, uh, we're pushing back against the, the Book of Mormon musical. And, and President Hinckley was saying, this is how at this moment we need to do I'm a Mormon. And then President Nelson is saying, okay, now the next thing is we're now going to leave Mormon behind, leave that to everybody else. We're going to call the church by its name. That doesn't mean one was right and one was wrong, but you're watching this step forward as we handle the challenges in front of us. I actually feel like my testimony of Joseph Smith was probably very immature and shallow. Yeah, like an immature testimony. And now it seems to be exploding as I read what the Lord is able to do through Yeah, I think that parallels mine. Is that I'm saying that, that my testimony a year later after we started this project, and I hadn't been digging that deeply into the Joseph Smith papers. I thought it was kind of fun. And I looked through here and and uh, but as I've as as we've had a chance to kind of dig and look and read and stuff like that, I'm with you. My testimony has exploded, but it's exploded of this dynamic prophet and actually his limitations tell me how great the work is as opposed to this was the this was a walking Moses who could only beat out a little bit depending on people how they were ready he didn't know and the fact that he moved forward in doubt and and fogginess and then got clarity and and made a bold move and then saw how it worked and then got more light it uh, I love him more yeah I felt the same I feel like our testimony is our identity that's who we are. And as our testimony grows, our understanding of who we are grows. And uh, it's uh, difficult, you know, for us, as for me personally, uh, you know, to face questions and challenges and who I am and what the world is all about and stuff. And when you finally crest the hill, so to speak, all of a sudden you see all the stuff that was always there, but you were not aware of it. Right. And, uh, and so 
you kind of want to rush to get to the crest of the next hill, but at the same time, the closer you get to it, the more intimidating it gets, the more frightening. We're kind of impatient. We would like to learn and move things forward as quickly as possible, and, but, but I think there is a process of saying, here comes the light knowledge, plug it into the church, let them live it, incorporate it, try it, and then give them a little bit more. You mix in a little bit more, they expand, live with it, mix in a little bit more. Uh, but we're patient. We're impatient. We want the whole package all at once. Yeah. For me, I, I, my love and appreciation of Prophet Joe Smith has increased because I realized how human he was. Yeah. And also, it gives me, I guess it's increased my faith in Holy Father that he can accomplish his work with imperfect people. With very imperfect people. And Absolutely. It gives me hope for myself, you know. <laughs> it should. I, th I think if we're able to look at, at uh, Joseph and see his foibles, then we look at us. And we look at the things that we're asked to do. Um, uh, I mean, I've, I've told the story before that after, after our, our first baby was born, um, our daughter... And then I ran to I ran uh, my mother-in-law to the airport, and I remember coming back and sitting in the apartment. And Cindy and I sat next to each other, and this little wiggly baby was in the, it was in a, a um, bathtub thing, and we put a blanket in it. We didn't even have a crib yet. We just put her in there on the coffee table, <laughs> and we're looking at each other like. Oh my gosh, now what do we do? You know, mom's gone. We're on our own. Are we going to screw this thing up? Uh, and we had, if, if we'd have known at that point the whole picture, we'd have probably given her to gypsies, you know. <laughs> All the, uh, it's like, okay, we're just going to handle today and this week and, and figure out how to make her burp, <laughs> you know, those, those kind of things. And I think we're, and we just have to allow ourselves the ability to grow. And I think that's what we see in Joseph and all these people just doing the best they knew how to do. Um, yeah. I think the Lord knows how we learn. Yeah. How we really, you know, we learn something and how we're able to apply it in our lives. I worked for the church for 16 years and one of my sons said to me one time, well, why doesn't the church just take your tithing out of your paycheck? <laughs> because it would be so much more efficient. And I said, because it would take away my freedom of choice. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't learn anything. I, I, I don't know if you guys heard that, but she said that in working for the church, her son wanted to know that why they didn't just deduct her tithing out of her paycheck. <laughs> that way you wouldn't have to actually go through the steps of actually paying that. Yeah, I, I, right. Um, to your question originally, the emotional journey that has caused me has been amazing. To go from kind of a concrete feeling about prophets and about Joseph Smith, and I've been a member 35 years, but to um, take the risk and feel the compassion, understand his foibles and his questions, and see the process has been soul stretching. Ah, but that it's stretching to have to see it in a more dynamic sort of way. Yes, and then it's empowering, and then faith settles in, and then more compassion and understanding develops. Not just for him and our prophets today, but even for myself and others. 
so as we have, as we understand what he went through then it builds the compassion in us both for him and then certainly for us and then especially we're doing this in, in probably one of the most dynamic moments of the church I don't remember I don't remember a time in our church history where we all get up in the morning and go did something change this week <laughs> But isn't it interesting that he has set an expectation that it will change. So when the next change comes, you know, like for instance, finally, when they finally get up in general conference, as they should, and say, we're now putting belfries and bells in our chapels. I want two things. I want to purchase the Kirtland Temple, and I want bells in our chapels. If I could have those, I would die happy. Uh, as far as the church goes, it's those two faux pas that, that, uh, that the church has not done well, and I'm hoping they figure that out. <laughs> so, but, but we're at this moment where we get this dynamic thing happening here, and we're saying that in response to what's going on, prophets are asking questions. Prophets are getting inspiration. And in some cases, they're getting inspiration and going, you know that I'm a Mormon thing we did just a few years ago? Um, we're going to change that. You know scouting that we love so much? We're leaving it. And not that that was wrong at the time. Right. It served its, it served its purpose, but that does mean that we're having to do hard changes and like, but we like scouting. <laughs> you know, And we like this and we like and and we're moving forward and we're having to say we're going to adjust. By the way, I'm I'm totally liking the two hour thing. I think that's a, that's a good deal. Okay. Was that? I said you're not a primary teacher. Yes. Well, if you're a primary teacher and you got 20 minute lesson, isn't that? 20 minutes is all. You have to hustle. It's ideal. You said it's ideal. <laughs> Yeah, listen to you guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah see, see with Esterna. And I loved having my gospel doctrine teacher have 45, 50 minutes to actually teach a lesson. Okay? Oh, that was... Oh, it could go well. I saw that. Some gospel doctrine teachers, you don't want to have 45 minutes. I understand that. I get it. Okay. So... That said, let's. Um, if we're going to set, if we're going to set this last six months, January 1844 to June 1844, uh, you need to put it in context so that you're going to understand why people are doing what they're doing and why they're reacting the way they're reacting. Um, and we have to remember, if we go back just six years from June 1844. Saints are in far west, and there are attacks going on in the outer farms. Uh, and, and what they're doing is then, as farms are being burned, they're actually having to come into the city for their safety. So you watch this gathering and circling of the wagons. Um, you're watching uh, that there is a complicit governor and, and the courts at the time that aren't helping the saints at all. In fact, the governor seems to be um, uh, spurring it on. 
never mind that Governor Boggs was a major landholder in Jackson County. Um, but in other words, we're not going to get much relief from the state or from the governor. You remember that they, they had an armed and hostile militia anxious to attack the city. Just kind of waiting out there and they knew that they wanted to sweep in and destroy Far West. Uh, as the heat rose, you had traitors and dissenters that had been our brethren and sisters that were joining the voices of the mob and actually giving them inside information about what's happening. That was going on. Uh, the result was arrest warrants for Joseph Smith and the other brethren. That was going to spur this, uh, the sheriffs and the courts and everything to find a way to go arrest him. And the result, it led to murders, the loss of the city, and a forced exile in winter. Now, tell me how close in January and February and March of 1844, how close does this come to Nauvoo? Same. Complicit governor? Coming in an effectual governor, and then we think complicit at the end. Um, attacks against farms. Yeah, that was going on. Armed and hostile militia. They were being they were being stirred up by the by the newspapers, especially the Warsaw Signal, um, stirring up all of this anger and hate. And who was giving them information? Descenders. Yeah, the Laws, the Fosters, the Higbees were providing information um, and stirring stuff up. Okay. Um, and then did it lead to arrest warrants? Yeah, now, how did Nauvoo do this differently, though, than they did in Far West? Did they learn anything over six years? Yes. What happened when people's farms were being burned in, in Illinois? How did we do it in Far West? We go burn them back, right? So there were retaliatory strikes by the, the, the Danites in, in Missouri that were burning, that they, weren't, they weren't hurting people, they were just burning farms and taking property. But it was enough to stir things up. Did we do that in Illinois? No. And I believe the fact that we didn't retaliate even after the martyrdom bought us the two years that we needed to be able to get ready and more peaceably leave uh, Nauvoo. Till in the end, the mob got anxious, and then we had the battle on Mulholland Street um, in 1846. But no, but so it's different. Uh, arrest warrants for Joseph Smith. How are they handling the arrest warrants? Nauvoo has a city charter, and Nauvoo has a court. And if they're going to swear out a, a writ of habeas corpus against Joseph Smith, you got to produce yourself. He just walk, he just go to the court in Nauvoo. <laughs> he didn't want to go to Carthage. It's an armed camp. So it's different. But we're still but if you are somebody who has lived through Far West and the fall of Far West and you're watching these things go on, what's your reaction? 
fear, horror, it's happening again. And you're going to be, and you're going to handle fear the way you handle fear. Okay? So, that's, I think that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. If you have been through a painful, traumatic moment in your life, and you see the same element starting to combine again, how do you handle it? What do you do? Knees. You might hit your knees. In a side, you need to go someplace else. You might need to avoid, you need to go somewhere else. See, the answer is, is that you would do what you do. Because if we started going around the room and I said, how do you handle threat? How do you handle anxiety? How do you handle things that scare you? Some are going to start praying. Some are going to leave town. Some are going to fight back. Some are going to start eating Oreos. <laughs> Some are just going to sleep more. <laughs> you know, we handle threat the way we handle threat. Some people just get angry, some get scared and tearful. So you have, a, you have thousands of people in here in Nauvoo who are going, we've seen this story before. We know how this ends. And they're going to handle it the way that they handled it their way. How do you handle it if you're Joseph Smith? You have a prophetic ability to see kind of what's coming. But you walk out the mansion house door and you look out and what do you see? A city of people that you love. And you know what happened in Far West. Your heart breaks. Oh, I, heartbreak. Uh, these, these are the loveliest people on earth. Little do they know what's coming, basically. Okay, so when um, when I was in uh, college, one of the things that uh, kind of showed up on the scene, we found a uh, a journal of a man by the name of Wandel Mace. Um, one of my professors had it, and we were able to get a copy of the Journal of Wandel Mace. I still have it. Now you can get it online. But at the time, it was pure gold because Wandel Mace was kind of upfront and personal with a lot of things that happened. Um, Wandel Mace, for instance, is the one that um, just before the Battle of Mulholland, uh, they want, the city is defenseless and they find an old cannon in, in uh, New Orleans that they actually haul up the river they take it to the Nauvoo temple basement, they blacken the windows, they, they refurbish this cannon, uh, and then, uh, then it worked, and then they would stuff this thing full of like iron and scraps and stuff like that, and when the mob would make noises coming down from the, the east side of Mulholland, coming down there, they'd fire off this cannon and scare them to death. Okay, that was, that was Wandel Mace. By the way, anybody know where that cannon is now? 
Anybody been to the St. George Temple lately? It's in the visitor center. Yeah, it is. It's the same, the same cannon that they use to, to help do the footings of the St. George Temple. Different story for another time. Okay, but here was Wandel Mace. And, and, and listen to what he said. Joseph said in a conference, I must teach the elders and they must teach you. This he had been doing all the previous winter, 1833-1834. He spent most of his time in teaching the twelve and other elders and in giving endowments. He was so constant in his labors that they wondered why he'd be so untiring in his labors. Upon one occasion, Elder Orson Pratt remarked to me, I don't know what is the matter. Joseph gives us no rest, neither day nor night. When we ask him, he says, the Spirit urges me. <coughs> you just get this sense of this foreboding that was, that was beginning to steal upon him. On one occasion about this time when addressing the congregation, Joseph had said that he had rolled the burden of bearing off the kingdom onto the shoulders of the twelve. I have so diffused the priesthood, I defy all hell to overthrow it. Now it matters not what may become of me, I am going to rest a while. I am going to rest. Oh, how blind we were. I often think we were in the same condition as were the disciples of Jesus. He told them plainly, the Son of Man must suffer these things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. But they did not comprehend his sayings. Neither did we understand Joseph. Had we anticipated his departure, we might, like the disciples of Jesus, been somewhat prepared and understood his sayings, I am going to rest a while. I have rolled the burden of bearing off the kingdom onto the shoulders of the twelve. I had no idea his mission upon earth was so near the end, but thought that the twelve would travel and preach the gospel to all nations and take much of the labor and responsibility off him so that he could stay with us at home and instruct the people. Fascinating, isn't it, at the moment when he needed his, his uh, closest associates, the twelve, near him, what does he do? Send them off. What are, what are they off doing? Campaigning. He's running for president. Uh, and, and not only are they going to be preaching, but they're also campaigning. We'll talk about that in a sec. He had been feeding us deliciously with spiritual food. His discourses were becoming better every time he addressed the saints, and we anticipated a continuance of these things. Now, if you're, if you're a saint that's lived through far west, and you watch all these things going, what, what probably sustains you? Joseph always escapes. The Lord always sustains his prophet. The Lord always finds a way for him to get out. Uh, as another uh, teacher has said, there was always a ram in the thicket. So that the ultimate sacrifice was not required. 
It always worked that way. It's Joseph. And no matter how bad it is, he'll get out of it. So it's a scariness, but as long as we have Joseph, things are great. Now, the only one who didn't share that was Joseph himself. Because the foreboding was growing in him that these obstacles were too big, that he had accomplished, he'd rolled things off onto the twelve, and that he was now as likely to die as any man, to use his words. Okay. Wilford Woodruff. I am a living witness to the testimony that Joseph Smith gave to the twelve apostles when all of us received our endowments from under his hand. I remember the last speech he ever gave us before his death. It was before we started upon our mission to the east. He stood upon his feet some three hours. The room was filled as with consuming fire. His face was as clear as amber. He, he was clothed upon by the power of God. Uh, he laid upon us our duty. He laid before us the fullness of this great work. And in his remarks to us he said, I have sealed upon my head every key, power, principle of life and salvation that God has ever given to any man who ever lived upon the face of the earth. And these principles and this priesthood and this power belongs to this great and last dispensation which the God of heaven has set his hand to establish on the earth. Now, he said, addressing the twelve, I have sealed upon your heads every key, every power, every principle which the Lord has sealed upon my head. After addressing us in this manner, he says, I tell you, the burden of this kingdom now rests upon your shoulders. You have got to bear it off to all the world. Now, I do find it interesting, by the way, that on that, on that uh, in late June, when Brigham is traveling, I think in New York, and the word he reads in the newspapers that Joseph Smith was killed in Nauvoo. His first response to that is, now what are we going to do? Joseph is gone. And there's a period of time where he's just kind of in a funk. And I think Parley's there as well. And they're just kind of going, now what do we do? And it took him a little while before he says, finally, and partly describes the moment, I guess, I guess Brigham's sitting back in a chair. Uh, boys are still boys. you know. <laughs> sitting back in a chair against the wall, feet up. And he says, suddenly he drops down, he slaps his hand on his knee and goes, no, the keys are still here. We have them. We carry them. Joseph is gone, but we have the keys. Well, that wasn't just an automatic thought to these guys. They had to think through the... Wait a minute. That's what he was doing back then. Oh, it's us. We need to hurry. We need to get back to Nauvoo. Now, people that weren't in that room at that time, Sidney Rigdon, who would say, Joseph took the keys and I will be the guardian. That we'll talk about next week. So, so even for them, it was, what, how do we move ahead without the prophet Joseph? 
Now, so let, let me ask you again. If there's a foreboding that he's leaving, how did Joseph handle it? What did Joseph think might save the people and what might save him? Yep. So, let me give you, let me give you uh, one of the places as I looked through the, and, and read a number of things this last uh, week. I came on this and it was kind of interesting. When, when we talk about uh, Joseph's discourse coming in crescendo, the absolute crescendo of his entire teaching comes on April 7th, 1844, the King Follett Discourse. Uh, on a rainy, blowy day, uh, thousands of people there. We talked about last time that we have about 40 minutes of his discourse there. He spoke for over between two and three hours. Uh, and, and, put, and what he put out there was the apex of everything that he had learned to that point. King Follett Discourse is, is a masterpiece. Um, but I found, I found this little piece in it. I thought I would quote from. It is. Okay. King Follett was a friend of his that was digging a well. Uh, by the way, if you take the little, how many have been to Nauvoo? How many have taken the little wagon, uh, horse-drawn thing, and you go by where, really pretty close to where King Follett was digging the well, and it collapsed on him? Um, okay. I've been requested to speak by his friends and relatives. Um, I feel disposed to speak on this subject. Um, Look at this about halfway down. I pray that the Lord may strengthen my lungs, stay the winds, and let the prayers of the saints to heaven appear. Um, he couldn't speak the next day. He was, he was voiceless. It, it, it wiped him out speaking for that long in a blowing wind. Um, he says, I do not calculate to please your ears with the simplicity of words. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or oratory or with much learning but I calculate to edify you with simple truths from heaven in the first place I want to go back to the beginning of creation and he's going to say if we get it wrong it's hard to get it right uh, there will be very few beings in the world who understand rightly the character of God um, and then I'm going to pull all the way down here you need to um There we are. My first object is to find out the character of the only wise and true God. And if I should be the man to comprehend God and explain or convey the principles to your hearts so that the, whole, the Spirit steals, seals it upon you, let every man and woman henceforth... Now listen closely. Henceforth... Put their hand on their mouth and never say anything against the man of God again. Who's he talking about? Himself. 
the 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 laws the Higbees, um, the Fosters have, have already been swearing blood oaths to his death. They are already stirring things up. Uh, they are they're just a few weeks away from forming their own church. And they are just a couple of months away from publishing the Nauvoo Expositor that we'll talk about in a second. <clears throat> but, they, but the meetings that these guys were having were drawing hundreds of saints. They would have like two and three hundred people coming to these meetings. So there was, a, there was a, a, the beginnings of a, of a groundswell of those that thought he was a fallen prophet. So part of what's going on in King Fallout, he's having to defend himself. And he's saying, if I can tell you the character of God, and you can understand the character of God, you're gonna, you will never say anything against the man of God again. But if I fail, it becomes my duty to renounce all my pretensions and re to revelations, inspirations, and if all pretense of God, they're as bad off as I am at any rate. So if you learn it, you will come to understand that I'm a prophet, and if you understand a prophet, you'll quit attacking me. There is not a man that would breathe out an anathema, a blasphemy, if they knew I was a false prophet and some would feel authorized to take away my life. If any man is authorized to take away my life who says I'm a false teacher, then upon the same principle I am authorized to take away the life of every false teacher. And there would be, and and would there be the end of blood? And who would who would not be the sufferer? But no man is authorized to take away the life in consequence of their religion, which all laws and governments ought to tolerate, right or wrong. If I show verily that I have the truth of God, and show that 99 out of 100 are false teachers, while they pretend to hold the keys of God, and to kill them because they're false teachers, it would deluge the whole world with blood. I want you all to know God, to be familiar with Him, and if I can bring Him to, listen closely, if I can bring God to you, you to Him, you to him if I can bring you to Him, all persecutions against me will cease. How do I save me and how do I save this people? Through pure doctrine. If you understand the doctrine, then persecutions against me and against the saints will stop. How am I going to save this people? Preach. And preach correct principles. That's quite a bold move, isn't it? Now, what he then goes on to say does just the opposite. <laughs> because when he finally unloads the real truth and he puts it out there, it will be the, the very thing that causes the printing of the Nauvoo Expositor. And, and, and ends in his death. What is it that he preached? What sort of man was God in the beginning? Open your ears. Hear all ye ends of the earth. I'm going to prove it to you. First, God himself who sits enthroned in yonder heavens is a man like unto one of yourself. That is the great secret.
If the veil was rent today in the great God who holds this world in its orbit, if you could see him today, you would see him all the, the man, image, and very form of a man. Adam was, a, was created in this very fashion. Um... Basically, uh, these are un uncomprehensible ideas to some, but they are simple and first principles. We may converse it with him as a man to another, that God himself, the Father of us all, dwelt on an earth, the same as Jesus Christ himself did, and I will show it from the Bible. Okay? That was, that was the secret. God lived as a man on, on his own earth, and, and that was blasphemous. To everybody who say God is eternal to eternal to eternal. He's always been God. The idea that he was a man is just beyond the pale. Yeah. So does that mean that Heavenly Father was the Savior of that group? Well, this is here's what he's here's what he's teaching. And he, he says yes. Um why would the Father do that? The answer is obvious. In a manner to lay down his body and take it up again. Jesus, what are you going to do? To lay down my life as my Father did and take it up again. Uh, in other words, that's what he was preaching. Now, I this, is, this is April 1844. That was Joseph's understanding. That might have been sharpened over time or it might have been modified. I don't know. But at this moment, this is what he was teaching. This is one of the concepts that he had. He was ready to unload on the saints, and when he tells it, it is it's a bit of a shock. Because that that I mean that kind of blows the categories. <laughs> Uh, how do we handle this big idea? And, but he's saying, if I tell you this and you understand it, maybe you won't persecute me because you'll see the truth. The reality was it was just the opposite and it stirred him up even more. It was a calculated, we might say it was a calculated mistake, but I think he felt like he needed to teach it before he died. Okay. And I don't want to spend a lot of time trying to go through that doctrine because there's a lot there. The King Follett Discourse has never been canonized. Uh, there's, there's always been a discussion in the church about whether it should or shouldn't. I just think it's interesting that it hasn't been. But certainly Joseph was teaching it and it teaches us something about the nature of, of God. Okay. Questions on that? That's what the King Follett Discourse is. And now he's going to go on for the next three hours to explain it in more detail. I'm trying to find this in Gospel Essays. Isn't that brought up? Isn't this topic brought up in the Gospel Essays? Is it? I, I, I'm looking now. I'm not sure. But I've got the back of my mind that it is. I haven't, I haven't seen. And it would be interesting to see if, if they're accessing it. Or if they're, everything that I've said to this point says uh, the church... The church has done interesting things with the with the King Follett discourse. At times, they pulled it more into our instruction. At times, they've kind of left it out. And then it's in, and then it's out. And I think there's still an idea that we're not quite sure on all of this stuff. But, but at this moment, at this time, this is what Joseph is teaching, and this is what people are hearing. Yeah. Yeah, we think that, see, this was a kind of an outgrowth, even though it doesn't say that in the King Follett Discourse, it, 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 that's succinct. 
is certainly there. Um, and, and all of those things when, when Lorenzo, but Lorenzo Snow says, it came as a revelation to me. And then he tells Brigham Young, and Brigham Young says, or Joseph, Joseph says, that's great, just don't teach it. So it actually came as a revelation. So apparently he didn't hear it from Joseph immediately. And, and I think that moment happened prior to this. So Lorenzo was already getting that. And it could have been that Joseph was talking about some things privately to the 12 that he then expands here that Lorenzo heard. Yeah? How can we Yeah, if you'll, go, if you'll go to Joseph Smith Papers, um, the King Follett Discourse, uh, there's that, it's kind of cool. Uh, again, there were four scribes writing it, and, we, and we've taken all four scribes that it, there's a little bit different, and they brought them together to create one narrative. This is the Wilford Woodruff. The one in Joseph Smith Papers, um, no, it actually shows all of them. They have, the, the Joseph Smith paper shows this discourse and all of the, the scribes who wrote it. It's not a con, the condensed version. So, it's fascinating. I love it. And, and by the way, so let, let me just, to roll off of this. What comes at the end of the King Follett discourse? Um, at the end of the King Follett discourse, he says, You do not know me. You do not know my heart. He says, "If, um, but someday, when I'm called before the archangel and weighed in the balance, you will all know me then. I say no more for the present. Amen. And he finishes. Okay. Very strong, powerful. Joseph at his crescendo. Joseph at his highest moment. Um, and, and people were really struck by that. Okay. So, let's roll this forward then. How, how does that go over? Among the saints, it's powerful, it's beautiful. Among, among the descenders, that's the last straw. Uh, and as, they, as they're forming their own church... They then put together the, uh, they buy a printing press, uh, and they print up the one and only copy, a thousand copies, of the Nauvoo Expositor, meaning the Nauvoo Exposer. And, and it, and it lists, but, and how many of you have a copy of the Expositor? If, if you go to Nauvoo, you can get it. It's, it's, it's easy. It's easy found. And if you've never gotten it, uh, if you, when you go to Carthage, by the way, you really shouldn't do the Carthage jail without walking across the street to the museum on the other side over there. That's where the cool stuff is. There are copies of the Expositor. There are copies of the Times and Seasons. There is, there is the, um, the New York Times... Um, Nauvoo Temple with naked ladies on it. They were talking about the dedication of the Nauvoo Temple and they just drew up their idea of what it probably looked like. And there's a nice little, um, and a, there's a temple with a really tall steeple and, and naked women around kind of the outside of it. You, you can see that. You shouldn't miss out on the museum across the street from the Carthage Jail when you go. It's, it's, it's worth it. And they have a doorway where Abraham Lincoln preached from. So, 
in, in Carthage. It's, it's the county, it's owned by the county. Uh, it's the county museum, but it's right, uh, when you walk, when you, the, the door that goes up to the upper part of the Nauvoo jail, if you're standing there, if you turn around, the museum's across the street and you can walk over there. No, it's been around there for a while. That museum. I wouldn't miss out on that. That's it's pretty cool. Okay. So they along with that then uh, they then print up the Nauvoo Expositor, thousand copies. Uh, printed up there on Mulholland Street. Partly too because Joseph has been attacking the, the laws and the Higbees, the Fosters that are pushing back against him and he's, he's exposed some of the things that they did. They're covering their honor so they're going to go ahead and push back. Um, and they write about nine, in addition to nine things that, nine or ten things that they're pushing back against the prophet. A couple of them jumped out at me which I think is kind of interesting. One. Resolve 7, uh, we discountenance and disappropriate, dis, dispro, disapprobate, disabate, the attendance at houses of reveling and dancing, drum shops and theaters, verily believing that they have a tendency to lead the paths of virtue and holiness to those of vice and debauchery. Oh, what does that tell you what was in Nauvoo? Oh, attendance of re houses of reveling. And they're, and they're having theaters. And they're dancing. Oh my gosh, they're dancing. <laughs> There's a dram shop. Somebody's selling grog. They're selling alcohol. Who's selling alcohol in Nauvoo? Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Porter Rockwell is selling alcohol. That's Order Pro, Porter Rockwell's Dram Shop. Where is it located? Probably right next to me. In the mansion house. Until oh. <laughs> Emma threw a fit, and then they ended up. Yeah, he had to move it from there. But the original place. And Joseph's going, well, Emma, he's got to make a living, and he's been in jail for eight months in Missouri. He's got to, you know, he just wants to start a little. Dram shop. <laughs> Where's it going? In the mansion house? No, it's not. Yes, it is. Ultimately, starts it up, and she goes, "If it's here, I'm. Uh, I'll be moving." Goes, okay. Sorry, Porter. You got to move this thing. <laughs> okay. So that was resolved. But here, this is the one that tells you what was it that was really driving uh, these guys and everybody else. What were they feeding to uh, the, the Thomas Sharp in the Warsaw Signal and to the Carthage Greys and to the governor that was really stirring everything up. It's this. Resolve 14. That we hereby notify all those holding license to preach the gospel who know that they are guilty of teaching what? The doctrine of other gods above the God of this creation. What are they referencing? King Follett Discourse. The plurality of wives. One of the reasons why Joseph had tried to keep uh, plural marriage so secret is that Illinois did have bigamy laws. 
And if anything was going to stir up and bring the mobs and everything, it would be if that knowledge got out. And, and, they were, and one of the things with William Law that caused him to kind of break from Joseph was that he could never accept plural marriage. Uh, neither, neither could the Fosters. So that was the that was the initial break on that, and then it kind of rolled from there. Um, in his telling of it, he says he pleaded with Joseph not to preach it, um, and Joseph did anyway. Um, it's more than that, but that's certainly the plurality of wives becomes a big deal. Uh, the, the unconditional sealing up against all crimes, save that of shedding innocent blood. They, their understanding was that if you were sealed, you could commit almost any crime, you'd still be okay. Uh, it's, it's not right, but that's what their understanding. The spoiling of the Gentiles, uh, that's, that's a nod to the to the Missourians, uh, they're going to come get you. Uh, he's a general. He's going to stir up the Nauvoo Legion and come attack you. And he's promising that he's going to come attack you. Okay, Which are contrary to the laws of God and the laws of our country to cease preaching and to come and make satisfaction, have their licenses renewed. Okay, So that's part of what's in there. It, it, it's a, it's a uh, stirring up of all of this. Uh, now to give you an idea, so that comes out on June on uh, June 7th, June 8th, 9th, and 10th. The Nauvoo City Council debates: What do we do about this? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Um, uh, and on the 10th, they will then complete the resolution to go march up the hill uh, to Mulholland Street. Um, by the way, the Nauvoo Expositor is is right next to the Fudge Shop. If you wonder where that where that was, that's where it was. There wasn't a fudge shop there at the time. Okay, but it's where it sits now. That's where the expositor was. Um, one of the members of the city council, though, says this. From the Nauvoo City Council Minutes, June 8th. Councilman Phineas Richards said that he had not forgotten the transaction at Hans Mill. Think about how they handle the past. He had not forgotten the transaction, interesting word, at Hans Mill. And that he recollected that his son, George Spencer, then lay in the well, um, reference to the previous day, without a sheet, shroud, or coffin. It was his, his son was killed at Hans Mill, little boy. He said he could not sit still when he saw the same spirit raging in this place. He considered the publication of the expositor as much murderous at heart as David was before the death of Uriah. <laughs> was prepared to take a stand by the mayor and whatever he proposes, he would stand by him to the last. The quicker it is stopped, the better. So you get a sense of this fear that says we've seen this before and we've got to stop it. And what are they drawing on? Missouri. That, that's where the reminder is. Okay. All right. This, of course, stirs up Thomas Sharp, who's the editor, Warsaw Signal. War and extermination is inevitable. Citizens arise, one and all. How can you stand by and suffer such infernal devils to rob men of their property and rights without avenging them? We have no time to comment. Every man will make his own. Let it be made with powder and ball. And then uh, Sharp will then 
bring in Missourians to mix with the Carthage Greys and they will make up the majority of the mob that, that is in Carthage on the 25th. Now, I want, I want you to see Joseph responding to all of this. Um, he comes back from the other side of the river, and we'll talk, we're going to probably finish with that. He comes back from the other side of the river, getting ready to leave. He comes back. He's going to stand in front of the Nauvoo Legion. The mansion house is behind. There was a raised platform in the foreground. Um, so you kind of get the, the corner there uh, by Water Street. Um, and he's standing there at the corner. And, and I want you to hear... He gives almost the same speech twice, on the 23rd and on the 25th. But I want you to hear the 23rd and compare it with the 25th. And I want you to see the difference of, of a Joseph that says, if this cup can pass from me, please let it happen, but thy will be done. He, he, here's what he's doing. So on the, on the 20... I think this is the 23rd. Is it 22nd? 22nd, thank you. Okay. This is an unknown scribe. We have another one. This is actually a little bit better, I thought. So he, pull, he pulls out the, the Nauvoo Legion. They're all there. Uh, General called us out to order, to astonishment, counseled us to give up our arms that have been supplied for our defense by the authority of the state. Um, now, listen. I wish to render my thanks as soldiers and citizens under my command. And this is beautiful. If you listen to what he's saying, I think it's just incredibly prophetic with an idea of human nature coming from him. He says... I proclaim as your general you have done faithfully your duty in guarding this city, preserving uh, the lives of the people. For I have seen you on duty without shoes or comfortable clothing. Uh, if I had had means to buy, I would have obtained the necessary things for you. I would gladly do it, but I cannot mortgage any of my property to get one dollar. But I say this, and this is, what he, this is a promise to the Nauvoo Legion. You will be called the first elders of the church and your mission will be to the nations of the earth. You will gather many people to the fastness of what? The Rocky Mountains. As a center for the gathering of my people and you will be faithful because of what you've been through. Now, listen closely. <coughs> for many of those who will come under your ministry because of their much learning will seek for higher positions and they will be set up and raise themselves in eminence above you but you will walk in low places unnoticed. You will know all that transpires in their midst uh, and, that, and that those that are your friends will be my friends for I promise you that when I come again to lead you forth I will do to prepare a place for you uh, so that where I am you shall be with me also. Now Here's what he said. Let, let, let me just paraphrase what he just said. You who have been fighting in the Nauvoo Legion, someday you will go forward. You are the first elders. There will be others because of their learning and understanding will be placed above you. Quorum of the Twelve, uh, more educated people, uh, that ultimately you won't probably be the first elders of the church. 
But you are the you are the, the, the salt of the earth. You are the people that are on duty without shoes, and you will have you will walk away from this knowing that I am your friend. Even though you won't be in high places, I will be there for you. So prepare to go to the Rocky Mountains, and from there we will take the gospel to the world. That's, that's a remarkable understanding of what kind of people were in that group. I, I just think it's... I just, and, he's, and, and prophetic. Okay? Yeah? So... He mentioned Rocky Mountains, but yeah. wasn't it after he was martyred that Brigham Young and others were trying to decide where they could go, and they were mentioning several states or several territories, but not necessarily Utah. I think they were north. I think they were basically saying Joseph had said at one point. Remember, Joseph is over preaching in in Mon, on Montrose. And he's thirsty, and he says, "Come and give me some water." And they they gave they gave him some water out of a barrel there, and he tastes it, and he goes, oh, "That is great water. It tastes just like the springs of, of pure streams in the Rocky Mountains." Oh wow! Oh cool! Oh wow! So there was a sense of them that that's kind of the general direction. Um, but they talked about Vancouver. They talked about uh, Texas. They, I mean, they were being sent in all directions. But I think they had a basic idea going forward. It was enough that when that when uh, Brigham has his vision of the prophet Joseph in winter quarters, Joseph says, "Here's where you're going," and he shows him a mountain and a particular large outcropping of rock, and he says, "Go there." And it turned out to be Ensign Peak. Yeah. Um, so. That's on, this is on the 22nd. Then he's going to go from here, because up the next morning, he's going to go off to Carthage. Um, yeah? Since these are supposed to be such great outstanding men, do we have a list of who they were? The Nauvoo Legion? Mm -hmm. No, we don't. So he said, you're not going to be that, at the end of the day, you're not going to be seen as that remarkable, but you know who you are, and I know who you are. Even though your name won't be in the history books, I think it's it, it's a it's a testament to the kind of the the uh, salt of the earth kind of people that were there. Okay, so this twenty second, twenty third, he goes up to Carthage. He's halfway to Carthage. They say there's more guns that we need to get. Okay, then they march all the way back to Carthage, and he gets the same group out again, and he gives a second talk. Okay. Um, Let's see if I can... So he goes back to Carthage or Nauvoo? He goes back to Nauvoo. Did I say oh. Carthage? Yeah. I thought so. Okay. Alright. So here's Joseph two days later. And it's a little different. Yeah, I mean, his emotions are all over the place. Same place, up on top, mansion house, Nauvoo Legion. And he's going to say, I say to you, saints, be not troubled. Uh, give yourself uneasiness as to make any rash moves. Um, he's going to say, for you will be called upon, you forth to go, uh, let's see. You will be called upon to forth and call upon the freemen from Maine to gather themselves to the Rocky Mountains. So he's really saying not just like Maine people, he's just saying all the way to Maine. Okay? 
And the red man from the west and all the people from the north and south will establish themselves. Uh, they will gather. Um, you're going to gather in the, the red man, the Indian dispersed. They will become the strong arm of Jehovah. Now, these things I feel to tell you beforehand, you'll be ready to do your duty. Um, for this time, I need to, the best of friends to stand by me. Now, on this occasion, on this occasion, um, I would like to know of you all, by your own answer, yes or no, are you willing to lay down your lives for me? Wow. The answer is unanimous. Yes. You can hear, yes. I am your father. Shall I not be your father? All answered with a loud voice. Yes. He said to us, I am willing to lay down my life, lay my life down for you, and if innocent blood is spilled on this occasion, he then drew his sword from the scabbard. By the way, that sword's in the Nauvoo temple in the recorder's office. If you want to see it, they'll show it to you. He then drew his sword from a scabbard, raised it above his head, saying, I will call upon the mighty gods to bear witness to this. I have drawn my sword. It never shall be sheathed again until vengeance is taken upon all our enemies. I call upon the elements in our defense, the winds, the whirlwinds, the thunders and lightnings, um, earthquakes, the earth shall be shaken, the seas heaving themselves beyond the bounds. These things shall be brought to bear against our enemies for our protection uh, of the people of the Lord. <laughs> but this day shall not be that day. <laughs> okay. Aragorn could have not said it better. That's right. <laughs> okay. You just, uh, we have given up our arms, but and I shall surrender into my hands, which I consented. Uh, um, I only do to return to you again. With this blessing, we were dismissed to go home. So you get the, the, on the 22nd, you get the, you get, I think, the, a, a number of people said, you get the prophet who says, you will gather to the Rocky Mountains, you will take the gospel to the world. Then on the twin, then you get this, this Joseph, who is, who is uh, stirred, I think he's scared. He, he's worried, but he sees these people that he just loves. Um, and he gives them a rousing speech that I think is just incredible. Basically the same talk, but two different forms of it. Okay? Alright. Questions on that? I just think that's remarkable. Okay. Sorry. Yeah? So is that a prophecy yet to be fulfilled? Well, I think we did gather to the Rocky Mountains, did we not? I, th I think that was the 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 the, the uh, elements would combine against maybe maybe if there was a time we're about to be attacked who knows that's a good point okay now there's I want to finish kind of with this I didn't think it would be a wasn't really planning on kind of doing a blow by blow account of every shot in the Carthage jail I think how many of you been to Carthage you've been there done that. <laughs> But I need you to see kind of the, the backdrop behind it. And then we will pick this up next week, um, kind of the immediate aftermath, and then the succession of, of uh, Brigham Young and the move forward. Um, but I wanted, I wanted to give you an idea at his moments. Joseph is on, 
uh, he will turn to the brethren and says, I think it's me they want. If we leave town, maybe we can save the people. And this is going to come immediately after having said this <coughs> rousing speech. But, but I want you to see, here's the, here's the letter, this, this letter. He's going to write to Emma on, on the 23rd of June. Notice where it's written from. Safety, June 23rd. <laughs> he's actually in Montrose. He's on the other side of the river in Iowa. But he's, gonna, he's, he's writing it from, I'm safe. I'm, I'm, I'm writing to you from safety. Wow. Emma. Brother Lewis has some money of mine. Heber C. Kimball has $1,000 in his hand of mine. Brother Neff in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania has 400 You may sell the Quincy property or any property that belongs to me you can find <coughs> anything about. <coughs> Kirtland Temple. For your support and children and mother, do not despair. If God ever opens a door that is possible for me, I will see you again. I do not know where I shall go or what I shall do. Now this is going to answer a question, where was he going? We now know from this letter where he was going. But shall, if possible, endeavor to get to the city of Washington, D.C. I can't count on the governor. I'm going to Washington, D.C. to talk to the president. May God Almighty bless you and the, the children and mother and all my friends. My heart bleeds no more at present. If you conclude to go to Kirtland, Cincinnati or any other place, I wish you would continue to inform me this evening. I don't know that I'm coming back. Sell the property. Take care of yourself. I hope you can do that. By the way, take care of... Um, Willard Richards family but I, but I want you to see something this is what we're going to finish with the um, the tradition back then was that a handwritten letter from one person to another in your own handwriting is a very intimate kind of thing they would get this they would read it over and over and over because uh, you see it in their handwriting they were right there think about when we get autographs an autograph says this great person Abraham Lincoln wrote this paper wrote on this paper with his hand he stood right here autographs are really important to us um, and now he dictated almost all the things that he did and this first part of the letter is is written in Willard Richards handwriting because Joseph was dictating this letter. But notice what happens right at the end of this letter. You have to look very carefully. It's right there. Even though he's dictated this letter, he then he then um, signs it in his own name um, and then we're going to get oh this is the back part of the page okay 
In other words, he, he's feeling like he needs to be able to say to her intimately, um, I'm here. And then I want to complete, if you give me one more second, because um, we're going to get something very similar to this right at the end. And it's the last letter that Joseph writes from Carthage. From, from jail at, at 8 o'clock in the morning on, on June 27th. These we haven't had until just lately. Okay. Notice the same thing. You see the handwriting. Um, I think the handwriting is, is in... I think it's Willard Richards. Okay. So you get all this handwriting, then right, then we go right down to the bottom, and he does the same thing. And he's going to sign it. In his own handwriting. But this time... He's going to fit, he's going to put a little PS on it in his own in his own handwriting, and he's going to say this. And I think it kind of sums up. P.S. Dear Emma, I am very much resigned to my lot, knowing that I am justified, and I have done the best that could be done. Give my love to the children. I think, in a word, that probably sums up Joseph's entire ministry. I am resigned to my lot, knowing that I am justified and I have done the best that could be done. Wouldn't we all like to be able to say Oh, yeah. Yeah, could, wouldn't we like to be able to stand before the Savior and say, I'm resigned, what's happened? But I have done the best that could be done. And I think that kind of says where he is. Um, and so let, let me just kind of leave that uh, with this. Because that's at 8 o'clock in the morning. We know what happens at 5. About 20 minutes after 5. Uh, but I think there was a, that sense of these these guys that it was coming. There wasn't going to be a whole lot that they could do about it at that point. But still a sense of peace that says, I've done the best I knew how to do. And my testimony of Joseph is he did the best that he could do. And sometimes it was imperfect and sometimes it was awkward and sometimes it was magnificent. But at the end of the day, I, I think that's, that would be the thing we'd all hope. We've done the best that we know how to do with the spirit that's given us. And I pray that we can do that, and I leave that with you in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're grateful. God, I thank you his preparation, his desperation, and his busyness.